here we are with the Sam Dancer podcast. I have Kate Deering, who is the author of How to Heal Your Metabolism. Thank you, Kate, so much for being here. Um, typically, I would like to do like a little bit of background on people, but I have quite a list of things. Usually, I have like three or four questions to ask people, and that still goes about 90 minutes. I have about six or seven questions here. So I want to get kind of right, in, right into things. And I think your message will will speak for itself as we, we go on. And um, and I, I don't I don't know that a legend like you needs much of an introduction anyway. So, Kate Deering, <laughs> well, everybody. I'm honored to be here. So, thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. So, pertaining to your book, which, admittedly, I haven't read cover to cover, um, but I have spent a good amount of time in it, and I've also followed you for quite a while. And I've interviewed um, some of your peers, such as like Josh Rubin, um, and I'm, I'm pretty familiar with your work uh, without even really diving deep into the text. Um, but my first question for you is, does eating to heal look the same as eating when healed? And if you want to answer this in regards to your personal journey or in, in regards to how you would prescribe, um, I guess, nutritional recommendations for people. So pertaining to the book, is the book written in the context specifically for healing, or can this be applicable to someone who is healed as well? So that's a good question, because I think people are always looking for, like, this is a diet per se, like any other diet. And I think when we look at the context of healing somebody else, it's, it's a journey and it's never that destination. So the diet is always looking different and it, it changes as somebody gets better. And depending on what is wrong with them, um, you know, the, the diet initially for them specifically can look quite different than where it's going to be in six months or a year when they're definitely better. So for instance, if somebody has severe gut health issues, um, and they can't digest almost anything, cause I sometimes talk with people that literally are eating six foods. So like I, everything else I have a reaction to. And so we have to work in that space with them and then slowly implement things that can help shift them a little bit. And then as we gain a little ground and they get a little better, then we can make more changes, you know? And, and so I like to use something like dairy. Dairy is always a hot topic because some people are like, I cannot digest dairy. Dairy makes me inflamed. I get mucus. You know, I feel like crap when I'm on dairy. And so they'll read my book and be like, Hey, I, everybody needs to do dairy to be healthy. Um, and so and they try to push themselves into doing it. And so that's never the right answer. It's finding kind of where you're at. And if dairy doesn't work for you right now, then dairy isn't on the table. Um, we, we would work in other areas, right? So dairy is very affiliated with your gut health. And is your, your body even producing the enzyme to break down the lactose and dairy? And, you know, or you have some other allergy to dairy. And so we would work on other things. So again, coming back to the gut, we would try to do things that are helpful to decrease inflammation, give the body some foods that are super easy to digest, remove all those foods that might be taxing to the system. And then of course, we have to address their environment. Mm. Um, you know, I like to break everything down that the 
food and the diet is really, really important, but it's probably 30, 40% of the puzzle. And so, you know, and I'm sure you have this experience, you have people come in and their life is insanely stressful, especially in today's world. Um, and then they're like, oh, I just, and then I'll just add some orange juice in or, you know, I'm like, hey, look, we, we have to talk about your life and what you're doing to yourself every day. Um, and so living in chaos, um, you can't, it's hard to fix yourself. And so having a healthy diet allows you to live in chaos a little easier and probably doesn't do as much destruction to you. But if you are already super, I don't want to say damaged, but um, you just have a lot of stuff going on or your body is having issues, then we have to address how you're living your life. And like I said, I always like to look at it like this. The cells of your body are very, um, how they respond is very about the environment that your cells are in. And so, you know, everyone just always wants to just isolate certain things. I'm like, look, if you have cancer and that is proliferating in your system, then we can't just take the cancer out. We have to address the system that that cancer developed, which mm. is your body. And it's the same thing with your body in the environment that it's surrounding itself. Meaning if you are sick and stressed, then we can't just look at the physiology that's going on in your system. We have to look at the environment you are living in to address how is that affecting the system or your entire body. Very well said. I'm glad you brought up the environment because a lot of my questions are in relation to nutrition. And then one of my last questions down here is in relationship to environment and stress. A couple years ago, uh, well, a couple times too, I had a couple instances where I would have these, I would have panic attacks, anxiety attacks. Um, I had uh, a run-in with Hashimoto's and a really low testosterone. Very few of those, and I, I tend to consider myself a fairly aware person. I've been competing professionally for 10 years. I, I, I spend a lot of time assessing how I'm feeling. I'm using uh, things like, a, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a WHOOP, um, but little like fitness trackers and, and sleep tracking and HRV tracking, temperature, pulse, all these things. And yet I still come into a health crisis without even knowing it until it's deep, until I'm having the panic attack, until I'm having the anxiety attack, until I'm getting my blood results back telling me that my testosterone's at 50 and my, my thyroid shot. What are some tools that we can use to start recognizing when we're under attack, when we're stressed, when our environment is, is too much? Do you have some go-tos? I know, I know you're a big fan of, of temperature and pulse. Are there any other tools or, or diagnostics that we can check in with to uh, keep ourselves from falling into a health crisis? Um, yeah, that's a good question because, you know, all of us, and, you know, people like to go and, and, and they don't feel well. So of course they go to their doctor and then they take a bunch of labs and then the doctor looks at their labs and go, Hey, you're fine. All your labs say you're fine. Um, so there are lots of different measurements we can utilize to adjust somebody's um, health. I always think the biggest uh, thing to check in with is literally how are you feeling? And then taking metrics of just like things that we know that, that correlate to somebody being healthy. And for instance, those can be like 
bowel movement, right? So we look at your, are you having a, da- a daily bowel movement? What is your, your, your bowel even look like, right? Or, I mean, I like to talk about poop, so yeah. we can go there. Me but, too. Let's you know, do it. Is it pebbly? Is it liquidy? Is it solid? Is it what, you know, what, I mean, all of those things to me tell you a lot about somebody's health. So bowel is important for women. You know, of course, we'll talk about how is your cycle? Is it painful? You have tender breasts, right? You have a heavy flow. I mean, all of these things are correlated to their health. For a man, totally. How is your libido? Mm. Um, How are you feeling? Um, You know, and and those are important. Um, Then we're going to be looking at, you know, just your skin, your hair, um, cardiovascular health from some level. Temperature and pulse are important, right? So that can tell you a lot about somebody's metabolic health and how they're utilizing energy. Obviously, if they're constantly cold, then yeah, then we know that their body's not using energy effectively or they're just not giving their body enough energy. Pulse is also important. Um, Ideal pulse is usually between 75 and 90 beats per minute. Usually in the fitness industry, we're told very differently and like 40 to 50 is super good for you. Um, But of course, also we need to put pulse into context of um, when are you taking it? And if you're feeling anxious, when, you know, if you have a higher pulse, but you feel anxious, then having those higher temperatures aren't going to be very beneficial to you. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the pulse thing. Cause I, I still get a, a little, a little confused with it because, and, and I shouldn't because it, um, but as an athlete, I, I do tend to have a, a fairly low resting, uh, heart rate. And, uh, like you mentioned, when are you taking it? Um, I, I, I tend to kind of look at it in very dormant times, uh, maybe before I'm going to bed or after I've, um, waken up and, and during those times they're, they're relatively low. So if you, if you had a suggestion as to maybe a particular time, if I were to check it right now, like I just checked it right after my workout and I'm, I'm, I'm probably hovering between 70 and 90, um, so is, is maybe midday a better time to be checking in with your pulse? Um, I think all times of day mm. are because it's going to tell you different things, right? So if you're waking up with an elevated heart rate, you know, some people wake up with a 90, 95, 100. Now that can be good or bad, um, in, in relation to their temperature. So sometimes they might wake up pretty cool, but their heart rate is just jumping out of their skin. And so it tells me they're probably getting a little adrenaline kick in the morning. Mm. Um, if everything, if they're feeling good and they're sleeping well and they have a little bit of elevated heart rate, then I'm not really concerned. Um, athletes are always going to have a lower heart rate, right? It's because it's correlated to your level of efficiency. Um, when you're super fit and you have to do your workload, um, and I know you're more CrossFit oriented, I know you're not, at least I don't think you are running out, running marathons, but only a couple going into events like CrossFit, you have to be super fit to be able to tolerate that kind of workload. So you're going to, and I, and I do the same thing. You know, I train some for some very, very long distance cycling uh, events and I will monitor myself. And so, and I don't do it year round, but when I go through the training, um, I definitely heart rate goes down, definitely temperature goes down. It's really hard to prevent that because you're you're training your body for efficiency you're wanting it you know you i mean if you go through your workout and training and you to get through it you've got to consume twenty thousand calories because your metabolism is so elevated it's super ineffective for you to doing it in a period of time right takes too long takes too much work now your body's having to digest all this food so as you go through the training your body's 
you're teaching it to be more efficient. Um, you know, and again, it, it's not to say it's a, a horrible thing, but it does affect you metabolically. And so you always kind of have to check in with yourself with other measurements like, again, how's your libido? How's your digestion? How's your sleep? How are all those things? Because we all know people that have trained too hard and everything goes to shit. And there you go. Everything starts falling apart. Yeah, definitely very guilty of that. So it to a degree, it, it I guess can it can it be a good thing? Is it is it good that I'm running efficiently or is it am, am I a ticking time bomb by running like that through time? Or like you mentioned you don't train like that year round. The older I get, the the less I'm able to train year round. I have to be very strategic about when I'm peaking for, uh, for competition. But, um, and, and like you mentioned, you don't do that year round. Is that also being done strategically uh, so that you're not running in this uh, hyper-efficient state? Is there, you know, can we, can we have problems with that? Um, over time, I would, I would think yes. You know, and I think, I don't want to ever say it's good or bad, especially if you're yeah. an athlete, because I think we all need to do what we love. And if we love that and that makes us happy, then we need to be doing that, right? And so I don't want to always think in this black and white world, yeah. there's so much gray. And so I think, you know, it, it always comes back to, hey, can you be a good athlete and your heart rate is going to be lower and to be super effective at your sport um, and, and not have it be detrimental to you? Yeah, I think you can if you have all the other working elements that are going to support you in good health. As long as your diet is good, as long as you have a healthy life, you know, I mean, I, you look at someone like, all right, we'll say someone like Tom Brady, right, who probably is probably one of the best athletes and has been able to withstand a long period of time without injuries and still is super good at his sport, you know, into his 40s. And that doesn't normally happen in something like football because they have too many injuries and they start just breaking down. But if he has all the other supportive measures, from what I understand about him, you know, he's very supportive with his diet. It wouldn't be exactly my diet, but um, he's also doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, probably lives a very healthy life. And if all those other measurements are in are supporting you, then you can continue to do that, maybe live more efficiently um, for longer periods of time. But, you know, we all know as we get older, 50s, 60s, 70s, hey, you're not going to be playing football at that level anymore, or you're not going to be competing at that level anymore. Your body just usually can't withstand it. Um, so you're not going to be you know, and the people that I see do that try to compete at a very high level as they get older, normally what I experience with them is they're usually on other medications like cholesterol, blood pressure, other things because their biomarkers of things that could be saying there's something going on, they don't really want to listen to that. So they take drugs to lower those things down so that they can continue their sport. And some can do it quite effectively um, well into their 60s and 70s and still do quite well. But, you know, Sometimes you also see with those people, because if they're, you know, they're not doing all the other measurements, they it could be the people that just go out and have a heart attack or mm. <laughs> their things can end. I'm not, again, again, I'm not saying that's everyone, but we all are very individualized. And I always look at everything like a stress bucket as far as how your body is physiologically going to handle things. And if you are, you know, if you can, if you're doing exercise, which is a stress. But other things are you, the other parts of your life are not that stressful. Then you can do it well for long periods of time and stay healthy. 
But again, if you're living, if you're doing lots of exercise and you're also working 80 hours a week and drinking every night and smoking and eating shitty food and have a horrible relationship, well, all of those things are going to add up and that stressful exercise is just going to push you over the edge, right? So everything, we have to look at all the avenues of your life and kind of making that assessment, is it good or bad for me? Well, Tom Brady might have 25 Super Bowl rings by the time he's 60. Um, he we'll see. Um, on the cover yeah, of your, you got to give him some kudos. Yeah, for real. Uh, on the cover of your book, I love it. I don't know necessarily if we'll go go into this, but stop blaming aging for your slowing metabolism. Or I always like to say um, something along the lines of you know stop blaming aging for X, Y, and Z for your bad back for your your low energy levels. Um, it's, it's kind of, um, it's, it's, I, it's really hard for me to, I hear it a lot. I hear it a lot, a lot, a lot. And it, it's a really triggering thing for me to hear people talking so poorly about aging. Um, and, and I, I just, I love, I love that you kind of put that message right on the front of your book that getting older doesn't have to suck and healthy aging is is a real thing and and it and it needs to be the norm. Um do you ever get really frustrated with how um how should I frame this? Just the lack of education in 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 our culture in regards to healthy aging or what it is that we're we're teaching in in elementary schools and and do we or maybe a a better question might be um do we have do we have the right people in the right position to make the efforts to see the changes in our culture to make this the new normal? Are are you that person? Are are you the type of person that is uh, maybe I don't know exactly what your mission is right now, but um, you know, do we does that kind of make sense? Do we have people yeah. out there? I know you're a big fan of like Ray Pete and stuff, and and do we have the right people who are educated and have the right understanding to make a push to, to see some significant change in our culture to make this the norm? I mean, I like your hack. You're actually asking some really deep questions and I, I appreciate that. And I, and unfortunately I would probably say the way the world is right now, we do not, unfortunately, because I think there's other things driving um, the world uh, over actual health or well being or the, the right thing. I mean, there's, you know, unfortunately, I think money drives a lot of what we're being taught. I think there's way too much politics in, in almost every level of our lives that gives us, um, it doesn't give us the right answers to really help us improve. Obviously, you can say, see, I mean, I wrote that book solely because I've been in this industry for, you know, over 20 years. Um, and I've read all of it and I've kind of listened to the masses. And, you know, you, you learn earlier on that maybe the USDA and the FDA, when it comes to nutrition and health, aren't the best answers. So then you go into different other avenues um, and you, then you go into different dietary approaches. Um, ultimately, though, nothing is ever explained to you about how does your body physiologically work best? How does it run? What does it look like? Because we're so focused on how we physically look. Um, that we lose track of how, how do we even know if we're healthy? And for me, that was kind of my journey. It's like, I never was focusing on what 
I do now. I, you know, I was just focusing on physicality and fitness and how well I could perform at something. And you can really do that through your, your youth and, and do quite well, as you probably know, until things start falling apart and then your paradigm shifts. And you're like, wait, is this because I'm 40 now? Is this what happens when I'm turning 40? These things just start falling apart. Everyone told me when I turned 40 that shit was going to hit the fan. And, you know, so then you just correlate it to I'm getting older. You know, this is what's supposed to happen. Um, and that isn't necessarily true. Um, and I don't think we have a good understanding in our culture, in our society, about really what is healthy. I think we've gotten away from that completely. You know, in the last, what, 60, 70, 80 years, when the fitness, health industry, nutrition industry, um, I think industry because it's all money-oriented, people are making money from it, has exploded. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And we've gotten far healthier and sicker since we've been doing it. You know, we can all go back look at our grandparents when it was just simple, ate real food, didn't try to do 400,000 things at once, you know, had family, had time with your family. I mean, there was a lot of things that were really good back then that we've, we've shifted from because now we're all about convenience and quick and fast and cheap. And that has steered us away from health. And I think people are trying to find their way back right now. Um, I, I kind of feel like the COVID pandemic and everyone having to stay home that led to some people getting a lot of insight into yeah. themselves and their reality, some good, some bad. Um, I, I, I definitely think the world is trying to shift. Um, I think there's some resistance. Um, I don't know what will happen, you know, with so many things that's happening in our world today. But the people at the top, um, I don't think are giving us the right message on a lot of different things. You know, not to say, you know, I'm right about everything, but when it comes down to just what does the human body need health-wise, um, a lot of things that I think are being pushed are, are steering us in the wrong direction. Well, unfortunately, I'd have to agree with you. And uh, despite that, I'm, I'm going to do everything that I can, and I'm sure you will too, um, to just continue walking the walk and, and educating people and getting the information out there um, so that well, especially with 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 me having um, our our first child, um, I I really I really want to do my best to uh, instill good values and and characteristics into the life of my daughter, and so that she can be a shining example as she ages, and and hopefully continue that work so that we can see a, a paradigm shift. But they're definitely they're not making it easy on us. It it seems to be. I'm sure you've seen it too, and it's it's not just in in regards to um, I guess health healthcare slash the, the the COVID climate because we're seeing a, a great deal of censorship, and it, it it almost comes off as if the the people at the top don't want us to be healthy and. It, it would kind of make sense, it, although it, it, it seems so evil that it couldn't, couldn't quite possibly be true, but healthy people don't make other people rich, you know? It's the sick ones that, that keep the industry alive, and, and um, it, 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 oh, <laughs> I, I want to be wrong, but it seems like people want us to be sick and under-informed to keep us underneath their their foot. Yeah. Well, and one thing I say about when people start to eat 
to actually support their health. Um, they always, they initially will always come to me because they're having physical issues or, you know, but as they become healthier and the food doesn't become such either something that they've been um, totally focused on completely and they, they start to see and feel their body more, what ends up happening is they start to see the other things in their life that they need to deal with. And some people, and it can be good and bad, right? All of a sudden they're realizing, oh my God, I hate my job. Or, oh my God, I'm so different than my spouse. And I feel like I've been living in this certain way. And now I'm becoming more in touch with myself. I'm changing. And, you know, and you, and I talk to people all the time and they hit these crossroads, but because their awareness has increased, because now they feel nourished, nourished. Now they're constantly not living in this stressed place of fear. Mm. And they, they feel like, I can actually make an educated decision now for my life. Things change. And it's a very interesting process because they become mentally much healthier as well. And, and it can be, you know, it, it's a struggle because people have to make decisions in their life. And, you know, it comes with any growth per se, but this is definitely part of it. And yes, so if you, if people are in a constant state of stress, we know this about it. You, you become a very emotional human being. You don't think logically mm. anymore. You're far easy to control. You're far easy to just keep under the thumb, you know, whether it's a relationship or whether it's in a country that's doing that, you know, and again, I'm not going to say, but we know this. We know this when people live in fear that they make poor decisions because they're not thinking any longer. When you're in that state, you can't think. You're just feared. You have to be in a healthier place to make a more logical decision. And so you've seen that through the last year, um, what's happened on many different levels. But I can just tell you, working with people, that's what happens to them. They evolve. They feel better physically, but they shift mentally as well. And it's an amazing thing to happen. Um, it can be a little scary, of course, as we shift. But they, if they keep going on that journey, um, they absolutely become a better version of themselves, and they they see the world differently. Mm. Let's let's talk maybe a little bit about the nature of that shift, and and the the question that I have kind of written down is the psychology of change, and and why do people hold on so desperately to their ways? It almost seems as if people are addicted to the fear, addicted to the stress, and it becomes quite difficult to even communicate with an individual that is under attack like that and who is in that chronic state of fear and chronic state of stress. And, and I'm sure, I don't know if you work with clients one-on-one -on -one still, but uh, it, it, it seems to be really difficult to get people to let go of, of some of the, uh, I'll give you a, for instance, um, a while back, I, my father-in-law, he would put this, um, oh gosh, what the hell was it? This fat free Catalina something is like a French dressing from Kraft on his salads. I'd be like, Mike, Mike, can't, can't use that stuff. And it's just loaded with junk and dyes and, and, and high fructose corn syrup. And I was like, is, it's not going to be a, a, a spot on example per, per volume or, or per weight. But let me just show you how much sugar is, well, high fructose corn syrup is in this bottle. And I filled up a baggie gram per gram of sugar. Granted, that's, you know, 
completely, I'm not against sugar, but the high fructose <laughs> corn syrup can, can bite it. But just to make a visual representation, showed him what that looked like um, by weight, gram per gram of, of sugar. And it was an absurd amount of sugar. And I posted it online and someone said something along the lines of, come on, man, just let us eat what we want to eat. Like, allow me some, some form of enjoyment in this life. And it seemed to be, you know, uh, very odd. And that was just one of many. I, I thought I would get a completely different response where people would be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I'll, you know, I'll stop consuming that immediately. And it was quite the opposite. It was like, lay off, dude. Let us, let us eat whatever we want to eat. Um, could you touch maybe a little bit on, like, on the psychology of that and, and why maybe you think people are so obsessed with, with the way that they're eating and why they're so reluctant to change? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I think people, change is scary. It's the unknown to people. I think we hang on to things that are comfortable to us. Um, and so, and I, and I do think when, and I, I, and I've kind of posted about this, when we're in a low energy state or a low metabolism state, we don't have the resources to mm. make the change. And so we get kind of stuck in this place because we just, A, can't even grasp it. We don't have the space to get there. We're constantly in the state of survival where again, we're like running from the lion constantly. We don't even have time to rest. So for us to, to, to make that shift um, takes effort and time and space. You know, we know, let's say for instance, that somebody was doing a squat and they were doing okay with it, but we knew that form was about to break their, their back, right? Eventually they're going to get to the point it's poor form. If you don't make a change, then you're going to hurt yourself. Um, and a lot, but to make that change, we got to unwind all this dysfunction. Mm. So for a while, it's going to take more effort, more mind. You, you have to really focus in on what you're doing. And for some people, they just can't, they don't have it. They don't have the energy to make the shift. And so they just continue to kind of do it improperly, but maybe just stop at a certain level. Well, I'm never gonna, I won't lift over, you know, hundred pounds because when I do, I hurt myself. So I just stay in that space. Um, versus I could totally correct it, but it's going to take me away. I'm going to have to go back to 25 pounds and really work on my mechanics and then build myself back up. And so it might take me another six months to get back up to 100 pounds, but this time I'll do it properly. And they don't want to do that work to get there, or they don't even know that they can do that work to get there. In their mind, they're just already like, I just know I can't go any farther. Mm -hmm. So they get stuck in that. They're, they're Either they don't have the education to understand they can get around it, um, or they don't want to do the work to make the shift because it does take some work, you know, and we know that, that even when you start eating more metabolically, even though it starts nourishing people better to fine tune it, to get away from what they've been doing, they have to become more conscious. And we know most of us are living in a very unconscious state. Most of the time we do everything very automatic. We look at our day and we just kind of go around our day and do it as we've been doing it very habitual. Um, and to kind of, like I said, make the shift. Okay, now I got to think about it. How am I doing this? What am I doing? I got to prep these things. And that takes some time. Um, so I think that's a big component of it, you know. And, and a lot of people, you know, depending on what this habit is, they need to change. They're just scared, you yeah. know. Change is scary to a lot of people. Um, and 
So they have to kind of look at themselves and that can be kind of frightening. Um, I know I think that's why a lot of people stay in really dysfunctional relationships. They stay in a really dysfunctional job. Um, and, and you can talk to some of the people they know on some level it's dysfunctional, but it's, it's frightening and, and, and scary for them to get out of that space. So they just tell themselves, they rationalize it to themselves um, that, okay, this is why I'm doing it, you know, and, and whatever, right? And, and it's not wrong or right. Um, I'm never here to tell people how you're living your life is wrong, but it's, is it supporting you and is it in the direction you want to go in? And if you're okay with it, okay, you know, I'm not here to judge it. I'm just saying, is it working? for you. And if you want to change it, I or anybody that kind of works in that, that world can help you, guide you yeah. um, to get there with a little hand-holding. Yeah. Uh, something you said that really stuck out to me was unwinding our dysfunction. And that does very much seem like a scary thing to do. Um, it would, it would, yeah, not easy to look at all the things that you're doing wrong. So great point and and why people are so reluctant to do that work because you got to look at aspects of yourself that you're not going to like and there is not going to be a pretty experience um but uh something that you also mentioned is people not having the resources to change um when when you're trying to meet somebody where they're at all right, you know, identifying you as the resource now and to help somebody change. How, how are you doing that gracefully in a way that, or, or maybe you're not, maybe you're just diving in deep and hard and just like being upfront about it. But um, that, that, that tends to not really work with the majority of people. Um, it it kind of can be a little much sometimes, but do you, do you have anything to say in regards to maybe this is going to be two more of the, um, the, the health professionals and, and the trainers and, and anyone who's in the field trying to help people. What are some things that we can do to meet people where they're at and make sure that we're not coming on too hard? Is there a specific place that you like to start when, you know, work it's you're working up a lot of crappy stuff and 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 triggering things and upsetting aspects of people's selves is there a particular place that you like to start that allows you to to uh walk this walk with people uh gracefully so that they're they're not so intimidated or maybe um upset with themselves yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that's a good question to kind of because at this point in my career, and I, I do still work um, with some people. Um, I'm I'm not right now. I mean, I am now, but I'm not taking any people right now. But what I'm saying is I personally, um, I have a, a deep health questionnaire. So it definitely kind of gets some a lot of it out. It allows them to kind of write about it. I definitely ask about their previous stressors or things that have happened in their life, not just what are all your issues. But what's gone into your life? Um, what do you think that has affected you? Do you think that these X, Y, and D, these are affecting your health negatively? Um, and, and I let them try to kind of walk themselves through to see if there's things in their life they think other than just these health issues that could be being detrimental to them. Because a lot, of, again, a lot of people are unaware. You know, I'll, I'll, and then I'm, I am a question person. 
So even when I'm talking to them, um, I'm constantly asking them questions because I, I think that they need to hear themselves talk. And then I'm asking another question. And then another question. Do you think this? I don't want to tell them, hey, this is the reason why your life is so mm-hmm. screwed up. It's, okay, do you think that could be having an effect on how you're sleeping? You know, well, okay, maybe. I'm like, okay, do you think, you know, and so kind of guide them down this journey about so they can actually hear them go, mm, okay, now, yeah, you're probably right. That's probably, I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, well, do you want to change that? Is this something that you want? Because even when I work with someone, I'll take, for instance, I mean, I, I talked with someone today and she enjoys, enjoys her wine. And, you know, I know that's not great for you. Um, and, and, and with a lot of her symptoms, they're not supportive to, to helping her get away from them. And she was very honest. She's like, it's not something I really want to change right now. This is how I feel about it. I'm like, okay, I go, look, I'm not here to pressure you to doing anything you don't want because that just creates more stress. What I'm here to do, though, is to educate you and let you know that these symptoms that you're having are being affected by this habit. So is there anything that you can give me? Can we do a little less? Can we do this? Like, what is there any part of that right now that you feel you can give up to me? She's like, well, I think I can do maybe, you know, maybe less a few nights. Okay, cool. That's awesome. So on those days, this is what I want you to do. And instead of that, let's add some more calories and more sugars and stuff in the early part of the day. So you'll feel a little bit more regulated. And then let's just see how you do. Right. I always let them kind of decide. All right. And then they make the choice and then do it. And then we check in. How are you doing with that? Are you getting the results you want? And sometimes, like, I have a deep belief that I really want to do the least amount to get the max result. Mm. We all do, right? (laughs) I don't want to do the max amount to get the small result. I want to do the least amount we can possibly do to get the result you're looking for. And, you know, and that's why I'm going back to the style addressing thing, right? When I tell people, and I do this too, and people backlash on me, you know, when I say things, I go, look, if you're getting the result, because people ask me constantly, is this good? Is this food good? Can I do this food? Can I do this? Can I do this? How is this? And I'm like, okay, look, <laughs> if you're getting the result you want, then do it, right? I don't care. That's totally cool, right? Totally do that. That's absolutely fine. If you're not getting the result, does that thing, is that thing more important than the result you're looking for, right? Can we change it somehow? Um, and some of the things like alcohol and so forth, right? If you feel that need for it, I know personally that usually it's because you need more calories and sugars during the day to help support you. And so usually what I found were people that do like their drinks at night, if we can support them better through the day, getting their blood sugar regulated, usually by the evening, that craving, that need mm. goes down. So I don't mm. even have to do anything. Yeah. Um, so it, again, t- Taking people on the journey, you know, and I used to do this, you know, when I used to work with people before this 20 years, I'm like, you have to do this, 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 and this, you know, and if you don't do this, great. I don't do that at all. I give suggestions. I say, this is what will happen. This is how it's going to support you. This is what I'd like to see. Um, try this, you know, and, and, and every time we work, it's always try this and then report back. How do you feel? Did it help this? Did it not? Um, you know, and if it helps, cool. We keep moving forward. If not, we try something else. You know, it's, it's like, I, you know, have people all the time. Can you just write me up a plan? I go, no, I don't do plans. <laughs> <laughs> I won't write you up a plan. Is there a plan? Is, can I follow the plan in your book? No, that's not a plan for you. That was kind of an example. Um, this isn't a plan. This is a journey. This is not a destination. Mm. This is a shift. And it does. And for that, people get, you know, 
it, it, they don't like that answer, right? Because we all just want to be told what to do. And I give the responsibility back to the person. And I said, no, this is what you can decide. Here's the information. You decide. I'm going to walk with you. I'll be there to go, okay, can we look at this? How did that do? Can you note when you had this, this is how you felt. So that they can start seeing it because I don't want to work with people forever. I want you to get better and learn how to get yourself better. I want you to be more aware. Um, and so I can work with other people to help them. You know, do I work with people for, yeah, we check in, so forth, right? I have people that I work with for myself that I've used for 10 years because I know when I get stuck sometimes, I need someone mm. else to tell me exactly what I need to know, even though I know it myself. <laughs> but we need that sometimes, right? We need that other voice to go, okay, yes, yes, I know I need to make that shift. Very well said. I, I wrote down, ask questions, give suggestions. I think that's a very simple message and a, gr a great way to approach um, working with somebody uh, and, and doing it in a way that uh, can be harmonious and, and cause as, as little grief and tension as possible as the individual is working to change. So nice, very nice. Um, little little change of tempo here. Kind of going back to the top of my list. And I have, it seems to be, and this is a very, very common um, I, I've had some, some conversations with people on the internet, which is probably the dumbest place in the world to have a conversation. But I'm curious on what you'd say. Do you need to be in a caloric deficit to lose weight? Um, contextually, I mean, you have to be utilizing less, I mean, more energy than you're consuming on some level, but that, right. But there's a caveat because <clears throat> if you are in a low metabolic state and you eat less, you can still lose weight. Yeah. But you're going to put yourself into a deeper hole. So can you also meaning improve metabolism, support it better, eat more and still lose weight than you, what you were doing originally? Yeah, you can do that too. Um, but, but ultimately you're still have to be on some level consuming less energy. But it, again, if you rev things up and prove yourself metabolically, um, that can help you utilize energy better. And it depends on where the weight is coming from, right? For some people, it could just be water weight because they're estrogen dominant. Mm. And so if you can fix that, then they just usually can lose weight without it making any sort of calorie deficit. But if you are actually healthy, um, you know, obviously you can do more activity and if you're in a healthy place, that can help it. Um, but usually it's giving yourself everything you possibly can on a metabolic level to improve that, to help the weight loss shift. Yeah. Um, kind of a trick question. I know. Um, yeah, it's not completely clear because you can't go, well, but yeah. ultimately, right, it depends on the person and where their health is. So what can we do to fix that first? Because certainly, yeah, I mean, I've worked with people that were eating 1,200 calories and couldn't lose weight, and then we slowly started to improve their body's ability to utilize fuel, and over time, we're consuming 22 calories, 2,200 calories, and we're finally able to have it budge, but that took time to do that, yeah, right? It just wasn't like go from 1,200 to 1,222, and boom, weight loss just occurred. It doesn't occur that way. 
Yeah, that's um, it's that's a tricky thing sometimes. You know, when people are are severely under eating in in an attempt to to lose weight, and while doing that, creating metabolic dysfunction and slowing the metabolism down, and and to tell someone who's been doing that for a while that they need more food. Granted, not all at once and right away. That it is a a journey, as you said earlier. Um, yeah, it's it's gosh, it's the most fascinating thing to me about a lot of the a lot of this stuff is the psychological aspect of it, and and it probably goes back to the the lack of education, the lack of resources. Um, to, to understand that by eating more food or eating more frequently and regulating our blood sugar and eating what, what the hip term right now, metabolic foods that we could heal, we could lose weight, we could, uh, look better, feel better and do better. I, I don't know where, where the whole, um, major deficit uh, came in to to the 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 well well I shouldn't say wellness field the more the fitness or anyone uh, attempting to lose weight it's just I think it's a really kind of dangerous place to to play with to to lose weight and and to and to you know, to get healthy I think that's and you maybe even talk a, a little bit about that in your book just looking a certain way and attributing that to oh i'm healthy i'm well and and it's a shame that we have weight loss granted for some people weight loss is probably is is a good thing they maybe need to lose weight to improve their health but it it's it's kind of a bummer that there's such an aesthetic um kind of mindset around getting healthy and that just because you look good doesn't mean that you're healthy. And uh, it's, yeah, it's just interesting working with people on a psychological level, getting them to, um, to be okay with eating more food and, and, and believing that that could, that could potentially help them eventually lose some weight, look better, feel better, perform better, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's why doing this work, you have to shift what they focus on. And that's why you have to have different focus, right? If you're focused on the weight loss, you're going to get in your own way. Yeah. And, you know, it, it happens to people all the time when I talk, I go, look, there's nothing can stop you from having being successful in this except yourself. Because your mind, your old, your old reptilian mind is going to go back into its old ways of thinking and, and what you feel safe with, right? And you look in the mirror and you see your thin body and on some level you feel safe even though you feel like shit. So we get triggered. And so I need you to focus on your temperature and pulse. How are you sleeping? How's your period? You know, how's your digestion? And those is where our energy needs to go. And if, you, if people get off track, right? And they do constantly, especially women, um, because we're very, and women have a tough, right? Because now we have hormonal issues and we, now we have to do it all. We got to look a certain way. We've got to have a career. We got to do all these things. And it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, and so they do all these really 
very damaging things to keep that trim thin figure and it starts to really have destruction on them. And so to get them to shift that, to get them moved away from the weight loss mindset, it takes a little bit of time. Um, luckily, by the time I usually get them, if they've already read my book and they've kind of gotten some education about it, they're more accepting at that point. They really want to feel better. doesn't mean they don't, still don't resist <laughs> if they gain a little bit weight during the process because they, they normally do um, because it, nobody likes that. It sucks. Um, but it sometimes those healing pounds are, are part of the healing puzzle. Um, I find the women that are the more resistant to that, the harder it is for them. They just go back and forth and it just becomes this, you know, the, their head hitting the wall kind of thing. And the, a lot of times they'll just go back to their old ways because they just can't handle that the mental feeling of not being that perfect size or shape. Um, and that's unfortunate, but they eventually have to come back like, I feel like shit again. Okay. You know, are you ready? Because you do have to be ready. You know, there's a level of, I, you got to give it up, you know, and I, and it can be scary because again, we're taking them down a, a road that they are unfamiliar with and that everyone else is telling them is wrong and you shouldn't have sugar and you can't have this and why aren't I eating greens? And, and so it, it is a little bit frightening to them. And so there has to be, you know, I always say, look, this is a relationship between me and you. We've, we've got to be in constant communication. I'm going to be here and I need you to trust me. Um, I've been there, I've done it, but you know, it, we got to go down the journey together and you know, most people are, are ready and they're accepting. I mean, I always like to talk to people beforehand because you know, if you're talking to me and all you want to do yeah. is lose a bunch of weight, we're probably not a good fit. Yeah, for sure. Um, in, in your book, again, I admittedly, I haven't read every single word cover to cover, and, and maybe I've seen some stuff on your Instagram too. I have a question regarding fiber and it seems like there's, and I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't mean to make things so polarizing and, and make it good, bad. I, I know that there's, there can be, there's probably should be in most cases, the, the gray area, the middle area. And that happens to be the, the place where we we get good results, but um, it it came off to me that fiber can be a little hard on the system, and there's I I know that there's one camp probably more specifically the I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, um, the the macros people the if it fits your macros and kind of the bodybuilder type community seems to be a little bit more pro fiber. Uh, I kind of got a, a not against fiber by any means, but kind of this mild undertone that fiber can be potentially problematic for, for someone, I guess, especially if you're um, on your healing journey. Uh, I would like you to just maybe touch a little bit on fiber and how important is it? And, and so, another thing too, I, I'm oftentimes... Um, it raises a little red flag when, whenever I see it, a particular thing being, um, being sold in like this kind of isolated way. Like when you can, when you can buy fiber and when you can buy vitamin D or you can buy omegas in this hyper, hyper dosage and, and you can buy these 
breakfast bars loaded with fiber. It it just it makes me a little a little curious, if you will. But um, is fiber bad? Again, I hate with the polarizing questions and 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 the the black and whites. But um, is is too much fiber bad for you? Oh, there you are. Sorry. You hear me? Yep. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It. <clears throat> I think fiber isn't bad per se. I think it depends on the individual. I, can, I think it depends on where you're getting the fiber from. Um, you know, like to say, like the low ground vegetables, certainly like the carrot, um, they tend to have a lot less anti-nutrients in them. I mean, you, you specifically are not digesting the fibers of the raw carrot either. Um, it's acting like, I always refer to it as like a Brillo pad, cleaning your gut and helps you get rid of things. Um, but because it's that below ground vegetable, it's not as much, we'll say it's not going to feed bacteria into the gut area. Um, most of your bacteria should be in the colon. When you become in a low metabolic state, it tends to creep up into the mm. small intestine where it create a lot of imbalances and endotoxins and toxicity that start to create that gut inflammation. So fiber is helpful to always remove things from your system, right? That's kind of its purpose. So again, it's not bad. However, if somebody is in a, a having a lot of gut fertility issues, um, a lot of gut inflammation, whether having leaky gut, SIBO, any of those things, and that all of those are usually going to come in a low metabolic state, then reducing a lot of fibers usually seems to be helpful um, because we, we're trying to get fuel into the system and we want uh, the energy that we give that person to not be wrapped around a lot of um, fibers, tissue that, that the system has to work really hard to get what it needs from it. So for instance, like lettuce or spinach, right? Are very high fibrous foods. Um, but they also have a lot of anti-nutrients in there and they can create a, like a bacterial load on our system because they're very hard to break down and they're very hard for our body to get the actual nutrients out of them. Plus there's, there's little to no energy from that food. So when we're asking our system, like digestion, right? And, and the thing is when we're compromised, we're in a very stressed state, our fuel is not going towards our digestive area, right? I like, that's why we always kind of put that rest and digest into that parasympathetic state. And, you know, when we go to that sympathetic state, that fight or flight, fuel leaves the digestive system. When you're running from a bear, your body is not thinking about digestion. It's thinking about bumping your heart, your, your brain's getting the fuel, and then your limbs are getting everything. So if we're living in that fight or flight state, there's no fuel going to our digestive system. So now we start giving our body hard to digest foods that takes energy to get energy and to get nutrients. It's not going to do a very good job. That's why we're going to see all those foods in our poop. We're going to see them barely broken down, you know, and because your body just did not have the capacity to break that down and get what it needs from it. And so when we're in that state, I like to personally reduce a lot of the fibers. Um, if, as long as I will still keep some in there, right? Like the carrot salad and, and some fruits, um, and sometimes some starch, depending on how the person does. But ultimately, a lot of the other stuff, like especially like a lot of the raw greens, or anytime you add just Metamucil or all of these other, or fiber cereals or grain cereals, those used to be pretty hard on the system. 
So I personally have found getting rid of a lot of those high fiber issues usually helps someone feel better. Initially, I will state if they're using them to have a bowel movement and you remove them, they can maybe feel a little bit more constipated initially, or they just have things moving a little bit slower initially while we try to fix things. Um, so it's kind of like we might use some of these things to help move the bowel externally, whether maybe it's adding something like cascara sagrada or even some magnesium to help keep that bowel moving, you know, and getting things out because I'm a big believer in having a daily poop. Um, and so we can get the system working a little bit better so that it doesn't need those things to rely upon and we can get it to kind of move through itself. So again, fiber is not bad. It can, you know, it, it, it helps clean things out. Um, choosing what ones work for you, I think is more of a questionable answer. Like, you know, are some better than others? And that, that certainly means yes, there is, you know, again, that's why we go above ground vegetables are usually more beneficial than those. I'm sorry, below ground vegetables are usually more beneficial than the above ground leafy greens, um, to help the system work better. And could, could cooking those vegetables that are, or the fibrous vegetables above ground ones, maybe more specifically, could that be a, a helpful way to maybe uh, ease the uh, digestive process and maybe not tax it as much? Absolutely. Yeah. Cooking any food usually helps decrease the anti-nutrients and does make some of the nutrients in there more bioavailable. Um, personally, if someone is a super compromised state and they have a lot of bacterial growth in that area, I would still not give them a lot of uh, cooked greens by any stretch. Um you know, and and then and, and then to go off on that, like the carrot or the carrot salad, if people aren't aware of that, right? It's been studied extensively, and it does help actually remove toxins. And the carrot is one you actually do not want to cook. Um, you actually do want to eat it in the raw state, and solely because you're trying to actually avoid the beta carotene in the carrot initially, mm. um, because that alone can be a burden on the system if you're in a hypometabolic state. So cooking the carrot makes that beta carotene more bioavailable. Um, it to be, we want it to be able to absorb less of it. So usually when you're using the carrot salad, you want to wash it extensively to actually remove the beta carotene um, so that you don't get a lot in your stuff. Very good. I've, uh, I've now that to hear you talk about the, the raw carrot salad and, and, and washing it and such, um, I was just chomping down on a carrot kind of with every meal. So I'll have to, uh, make some mild adjustments to my carrot consumption and I'll start cleaning my carrots a little bit more. And I I've actually never made the raw carrot salad. It sounds delicious. It looks delicious. I've just been kind of cavemanning my carrots so I'll, I'll try the, I'll try the salad. Um, okay. PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids. I had a podcast recently. The, the, the main topic was kind of the healing powers of, of, of cannabis and CBD. And, um, and he got into omegas being a, uh, an essential part of um, certain chemical compounds in the plant um, for, for them to maybe work or, or something like that. And he would also kind of speak to um, the 
the plant itself kind of being a, a master teacher. And we can kind of look at this plant and, and how it, it's functioning and, and, and maybe potentially take some lessons from it and, and how to um, treat ourselves. And, um, and some things that came up, because I was, then we started talking about, you know, my, my kind of take on it. And um, I'm curious or about PUFAs, are they all bad? Are some of them bad? Is supplementing them a good idea? Do the ratios matter? Like, are they really essential? Let's kind of talk a little bit. I've had, and I've had a lot of like kind of anti-PUFA people on the show and I've <laughs> never brought it up. Because again, it seems to be a really upsetting topic for people to tell people that maybe they shouldn't be sucking down fish oil that really upsets them. So what's your take on PUFAs? Are they all, are they all bad? Are some of them good? Supplementing ratios, are they essential? Let's talk a little bit about PUFAs for a little bit. Yeah, the, the million-dollar question on the polyunsaturated <laughs> fats. Um, they are certainly a hot, hot topic. Cause, you know, basically what we're referring to is all, like, the liquid oils. And, you know, they're unsaturated because, essentially, they have many double bonds. And so they're basically losing hydro hydrogen. You know, your saturated fat is going to be fully uh, single bonds everywhere. All the hydrogen bonds will be there. And when you're unsaturated, you have many bonds that don't have hydrogen molecules on them. So they're unsaturated. So that allows them the fluidity. It allows them to be liquid. Um, it also leaves them open for oxidative stress, more so than any saturated, because they're, they'll create more free radicals once they're basically being broken down. Um, so the good or bad, you know, you can't get away from polyunsaturated fats. They are literally in everything. Um, you're in your, your vegetables, your fruit to some level. Obviously, there's going to be foods that are going to contain high amounts like your nuts and seeds um, and your liquid oils. They certainly have a lot more polyunsaturated fat in it. Um, they are very volatile to light and heat. And so to, to put a oil that can oxidize under heat into a body that's 98.6 degrees um, seems a little bit mm, not logical in my opinion. Um, we've been studying them and the reason, you know, we can go back and I don't know what year it was, but essentially they, they were decided they were essential from Mildred and, um, George Burst, who basically coined them as the essential fatty acids. And they were studying, I don't know if it was rats or dogs, and they gave one diet to them that was void of the essential fatty acids. And they gave one diet that had them in there. Um, and the diet that was void of the essential fatty acids, they had started having all these issues, skin issues, um, aging issues. And so they realized these must be essential because when the diet didn't have them, we had all these issues. Um, what they really found out, though, was that the diet that was void of the essential fatty acids is those animals actually had a much higher metabolic rate. And so when you take essential fatty acids, the metabolism will improve or increase. And with that, with any time you increase the metabolic rate, the need for nutrition also increases. And at the time, the B vitamins, specifically B6, wasn't, um, we didn't have any understanding of it. And so basically what they created was a B, B vitamin deficiency in the animals that did not have the essential fatty acids in them. And so 
are they essential? Uh, no, not from, from now, that, now that we know basically what was understood, because anytime we, and, and a lot of this, and, and I think going back to giving any nutrient in isolation can be problematic because no nutrient works independently. Mm. Um, they all have cofactors that contribute to how they're utilized and metabolized in the body. So essential fatty acids, right? What we know about essential fatty acids is they are very metabolically slowing. They slow metabolism down. Um, so if you are in a philosophy that you want a high metabolic rate, giving yourself copious amounts of fish oil and cod liver oil um, or chia seeds or flax seeds is not going to support you having a high metabolism. Can it remove some of your symptoms? Yes, because it actually can low metabolism down. It actually has a, an effect on your immune system. It can be very immune suppressing. Mm. So if you are having inflammatory issues, skin issues, pain even, it can make those symptoms go away. But just because something removes a symptom does not mean it's good for you. They also can have a cholesterol lowering effect, but it does that by affecting the liver's production of cholesterol. It's actually not fixing the system and maybe why you have cholesterol, which for most people or a lot of them is usually because they're not converting it, which usually means there's a thyroid issue going on or a liver issue going on. So the question is never... You know, do I need to be taking a lot of these? It's, it's the question is, what are these things doing in your body? How are they working? And what are you trying to achieve? Um, and if you really want to have a high metabolism, then consuming those is not ideal, at least in copious amounts. You're not going to get away from them, avoiding them completely. Um, usually, if you have a good balance of actually saturated fat to polyunsaturated fat is more ideal. Um, you know, so... I specifically would never tell anybody to take any of those <laughs> oils in just supplementing them. You know, to me, it makes absolutely no sense. And usually when we get people to stand away from them, um, your body actually will produce its own polyunsaturated fats in the form of omega-9 or meat acid from sugar and saturated fat. So in a body that's actually deficient in the EFAs, you will produce your own. Mm. So there are some like meat acid and, uh, uh, CLA, uh, conjugated linoleic acid that you can get from like dairy that actually can be quite beneficial, um, but they just work a little bit differently in your system. The other ones, omega nines and, and six, um, the stuff that you find in flax and chia seeds and sunflower oil and safflower oil and walnuts and all that, don't find those specifically beneficial. Um, but yes, people get positive symptom removing response from them. Absolutely. Does that mean their system is healthier? Not necessarily. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I guess uh, that settles it for me. Um, all right, I think. Uh, oh, I had uh, I had one more with like kind of a question mark by it. I I um, kind of learned my lesson with this one to not bring it up, but I I did. Why not? I did, <laughs> I, no I noticed that you you did post something on it. And from what I've seen, it was kind of maybe the first time you've ever posted. And I think you were a little taken back with the response from it. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll know what one I'm talking about here. But uh, what, <laughs> what of these do you think is the most triggering topic out there? <laughs> Politics, religion, nutrition vaccines. 
Um, yeah. Vaccines is certainly a trigger topic for a lot of people. Um, obviously, politics is as well, for sure. Um, They've kind of, they're kind of one like, in the same now, huh? <laughs> they are. Yeah, a lot of topics seem to be very political right now, you know. Um, and I know I'm, I'm certainly not an expert on either. I yeah. certainly try to have a, a deep understanding as much as I can. Um, I definitely have do- dove into both of them a little bit more this year just because, you know, they became a hot topic. And because I think, you know, politics seems to be interwining itself into every level of our lives these days. And I personally um, am am definitely a pro-left government individual. Don't want to say I'm politically associated with any uh, political side. Um, I just am am very much about self-responsibility and and kind of taking care of of myself and, but also others and, and certainly teaching in a, in a way that's going to help people. Um, I think a lot of people, again, in a state where they're living under fear and uh, I see that they start, there's a level of control that starts occurring. When you live in fear, you start to rely on things outside yourself mm. and trust other entities than yourself. And of course we all don't know everybody. We, it's not to say you shouldn't trust other human beings, but I think it's also questioning, you know, okay, what is what is what are, what are they telling me and what is what are they trying to achieve by telling me these things and you know again I, I think we all have to believe in something outside of ourselves um, but I think it's important to constantly question the authoritative view because coming from a place where the last 10 years totally shifted my paradigm on nutrition and I do realize that this approach and I'm super grateful that it's becoming more popular because I think it's changing lives um, but it, it, it hasn't <laughs> become popular because it's so such a different paradigm shift from what is being taught pretty much on every level of the world, nutritionally, medically, um, wherever you want to look. And so it's taken a bit of time to gain some steam. I think the reason it has is because people feel better. And if that wasn't happening, um, obviously, then it, it wouldn't be where it's at today. But it, that it takes people. I think the people that find this are really ready to do the work and make shifts. Um, and, and start making a change. But, um, you know, and, until then, I mean, there's a lot of things out there we just don't know. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm not a, an anti-vaccination person. Um, I, I am anti-shitty science person. Um, and, and, and so it's like, or, you know, I, I, and again, I think everybody needs to do what works for them. I'm not against it. Like, you, you know, I, I have no problem having a disagreement with someone as long as we, we can respect each other's um, different views and be okay with that, which I find that's a problem in today's yeah. world, Good to be luck. quite honest. Um, yeah. So um, there's a lot of topics out there, I think, today that can certainly trigger people in, in, on so many different levels. And I think if it, something is triggering you, then you you got to probably ask some questions about yourself. Um, mm. I constantly have conversations with myself on why is that triggering me so much? You know, what is it about me that that's hitting? You know, is it because I don't know enough or because it's like, what is it? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I think there's a lot to learn. Certainly the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything or at least I, you know, there's just so much more. And um, to me, it's exciting yet, you know, you just got to let yourself be open and not be um, married to one specific idea of this, of this world. Uh, I think you might find this kind of entertaining. I, uh, I too, have more recently kind of got into politics and the vaccination stuff before 
before we got pregnant, I, I would have said, again, here we go with the, the polarizing kind of labels of either pro or anti, but I would have, I would have said I was pro vaccine. And then, uh, but as, uh, as I was preparing for the birth of our child, I started doing a heavy, heavy amount of research on all sorts of stuff. What, like, what do I need to get the house ready? Like, what do I need to do to support my wife's nutrition and all sorts of things came across the vaccine thing and saw some like conflicting things, like things that don't line up, I guess, with my personal values. And I started reaching out to some friends and be like, Hey, yo, what, what'd you do? Did, did you vaccinate? And, you know, got some mixed answers and stuff. And so I ended up diving deep. I put in about close to 200 hours of, of research because I was just so excited about this child and wanting to make sure that I did everything within my knowledge and power to, to give her an opportunity to thrive. And uh, so I eventually, we decided against vaccinating her. Um, I, again, I would, <laughs> I would consider myself uh, much like you. I'm, I'm just... I'm against shitty science and, and science is a weird thing these days. It seems to be kind of bought and paid for. And just like our, our Omega study, like it, it, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot more that goes into science than, than, than what we may think. And then my other little, little story for you is, um, <laughs> with the politics, I, 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 I never really been very political or even had any understanding of, of a lot. Being a business owner has kind of changed some of that. This past year with the COVID stuff has changed a lot of it in regards to me looking into it more and, and maybe having a better understanding of what my politics are. Um, even though I still don't consider myself very political, I, I still have politics. And... Um, I always thought uh, I would hear these terms conservative and liberal, and I I always thought I was a liberal guy. It just the word the word seemed to match my my kind of personality, if you will, and okay. uh, very very open minded, and and um, and that's what I kind of <laughs> thought it was. And then I watched this show recently called what was it? Uh, no safe spaces on Amazon. If you haven't seen it, it's great. It's with um, Adam Carolla. It's kind of like a podcast, but it was really, really good. It's on Amazon prime, but I watched that and I was like, Holy shit. I'm not a liberal. Like <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not, I thought I was a liberal this whole time. And um, I don't know that I'm necessarily conservative either. There's, uh, probably some things from both that I would kind of identify with and and um, consider uh, to be of, of of similar values that I have. But there we go again, you know, with the, the polarization of it. I, I probably would find myself more in the middle of it than, than anything, but I thought you'd get kind of get a kick out of me thinking I was liberal until I watch some show on what what it means to be liberal and what it means to be conservative but I was like gosh damn I'm neither of those things um but some of them too but yeah that's um that's honestly about all that I have and um I'm I'm so grateful to have spent this time with you you are an absolute pleasure Kate 
um, you've you've done more for me and and uh, well I think you know this uh, this people can't see it but this this book and the information that you've put out have have greatly changed the the trajectory of my life I was in a really bad place a couple years ago and um, and uh, I'm I would like to think that I'm I'm pretty well treated and and have have healed a lot of things. I I guess you can't necessarily say you've healed from like Hashimoto's and stuff. Some people, or at least people, have told me that. Uh, I think I'm healed. My blood work seems to agree with me, and um, and some other things like I used to be severely allergic to dairy, um, like hospital status, and I go through gallons of milk a week now and would have never imagined that you know i always thought it was the milk's fault (laughs) not my not my fault and uh you've you've definitely um changed a lot of my views and a lot of my practices and i am eternally grateful for the work that you've done because it's it's allowed me to have um, just way more wellness in my life. My relationship with my wife is better. My performance as an athlete is better. My sleep is better. My libido is better. My everything. Just I've I've noticed such a uh, holistic improvement to my life, and I I just want to thank you for all of your your independent research and and your your journey that has led you to putting such uh, phenomenal information out. So thank you, Kate. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you the last word. If there's anything that you would like to share with the listeners or any place that you would like to direct them to, or any, uh, any charitable causes or anything, if you just, or you want to tell a joke or something like that, this is your, uh, this is your last chance to, to share. Get it out. Uh, well, first, I want to say thank you for having me on here, and it's been a pleasure to chat with you. And I, you know, I want to say I commend you for taking that time to spend to to research. Um, you know, you were having a daughter, and you took time to actually look into everything. I, I think I'm always um, impressed by people that take that, you know, and just don't go and just tell do exactly what their doctors are saying. And I'm not saying you know that doctors are bad because I don't think they are. There are bad doctors. Um, but you know, when you're having something that is so important to you and do the time, take the research to really learn and and make a decision that feels right to you. I, I always applaud that. Um, and so I think Josh Rubin would probably be a good person to talk about that, that, that as well. Cause I know he's been down that, that journey and, um, you know, and I would say, um, and Josh is, Josh Rubin has been a, a big part of my own journey. Um, I always commend him. He certainly is the one that introduced me to Ray Pete and a lot of the research of Pan Seelik, uh, uh, Constant Martin, and um, all of the people that I went down the rabbit hole with um, and, and decided that, wow, this was really complex and confusing. And I just became obsessed with it. And I felt like this needs to be a lot easier for people to understand because it's, it's not that easy right now. And so I, I, I want it to be more accessible. I never in a million years would have thought that it, it would come out the way it is now. And I'm super grateful for that. Um, I'm about to release the French edition of how to heal your metabolism. And certainly that was a, a journey. still is a journey to get that out. I mean, who knew that this would be, 
the challenge that it has, but you know, it, with every, every little challenge, you get something out of it. And so it, um, this work has, is definitely having an effect and that's what I'm most grateful for that, you know, making people happier, healthier human beings and not just about the physicality. Um, Cause I can understand that. I, I did that path for a long time. It can be quite exhausting. It's over your life. And when you get yourself, you know, you finally nourish yourself properly and you feel more regulated. It's very fascinating what happens to your life and your world. You start mm-hmm. to seeing things differently. Um, that being said, you know, we're always on a journey. I'm not done with mine. I still have bumps in the road or fall off cliffs for sure, certain. I'm, I'm a hard learner. So I definitely need to hit my head into walls all the time to, to get what I need to learn from life. Um, but I can appreciate it. It makes me become a better practitioner and to help others. Um, I'm still on that learning journey. There's always a lot more to learn. Um, I hope I can continue that process and continue to help people and give it. Um, and, and I will say, if this is your first introduction to this world, um, you can go to my Instagram, which is Kate Daring Fitness. You can go to my Facebook, which is Kate Daring Fitness. I do have a website. I don't use as often, um, but it certainly has some information on there. My book is a great place to start. It's a really affordable step to get, trying to get a better understanding of this. I tried to make it as easy to digest as possible. And, um, you know, those are all good places to start, certainly getting into repeat. And just looking into the metabolic world is super helpful. But I think when people kind of tiptoe into this and start making changes, the results and how they feel will continue them on that path. Wow. And I, maybe I'd like to leave you little words of encouragement. It's the least I could do for all you've done for me. And I, I know, well, I don't know, but I've, I've put in a tremendous amount of work on certain things that I'm, I'm passionate about, and I know that can be exhausting. And so, with your your efforts on on your book and and anything else that you're you're publishing, I I'm sure at times it gets tough and and exhausting. But something that comes to mind, I, I heard uh, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny share once, and I'm not sure if you're a, a religious or spiritual person, but she was praying praying to God and asking. Why me? Why me? And the response that she got was because you're willing to do the work. And I'm so thankful that you are willing to do the work, Kate Deering, because it is changing lives. Thank you for being on the Sam Dancer podcast. Thank you.